Welcome to Hookah Chats with Matt and Ethan, a podcast where two friends catch up and talk about whatever nerdy stuff comes to mind, usually over hookah. Enjoy. Life never, life never stops. I've got uh, uh, two congregants died in the last two days. Oh, that sucks. It does suck. Death is never fun, but um, <laughs> we, my my father-in-law and one of my sisters-in-law were coming are, are coming down this weekend, mm-hmm. and uh, now I'm like, well, I actually have to perform some funerals, um, so I guess have fun eating food without me. And my father-in-law yeah. was like, yeah, see ya. <laughs> he's he's just like, in yeah, time, just in time for the holidays. Were any of them COVID-related? I feel obligated to ask. No, no, no. It's one of them was on hospice, and it was only a matter of time. Yeah. The other one, his uh, his health is in decline, but like it wasn't as though it just sort of happened. Like like yeah. it wasn't as though like he was in the hospital or anything. Um, and they're very nice. Like I met with the family today. Like like because he's got family sort of around, you know, like in in other states and stuff. And so I met with them today and they're very nice. Um, they, uh, they want a lot for the funeral, which is like, fine. Like it's their, it's their dad's funeral. Like, like yeah, you can yeah. have as much as you want, but um, it's also like a lot, you know, I'm like, well, I just turned in my last paper three days ago. Can I, yeah. I really like a break. <laughs> no such well, look on the bright side. I mean, you could have two funerals to do and still have to do your paper. That's true. That's true. One of my, or like one or two of my colleagues got extensions on one, on our last paper. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is a terrible idea. You guys understand <laughs> that, right? Like, like, I'm sure you needed it, but just pull two all nighters, put it, put it away and sleep for 14 hours. Like, like that's right. what I would do, you know, like give it a, give me a break. Hmm. But it's That's tough. Good. And that sucks right, right in front of the holidays too. That's it does suck. I mean, it's never a good time to lose somebody, but I I always feel like uh, if something like that happens around like a holiday or something like that or a birthday or something, it always becomes sort of tainted. It does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. They're in good spirits, the families that I've been talking to, but at the same time, you know, who knows what's going to, who knows what next next christmas season is going to feel like you know mm-hmm. just think about the debt your dad or whatever let me tell you a a, a strange thing that a good okay. way about this funeral and then i'd love to talk to you about whatever's on your mind <laughs> um so one of my least favorite things in the world is happening but i'm okay with it so <laughs> when okay. i was in kerwinsville when i was in kerwinsville you might you might remember me complaining about this when i was in kerwinsville I did a funeral for a, a guy. It was a very tragic death. It was very sad. He 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 was connected. His parents went to the church in Kerbinsville, and he passed away. And he lived in Florida, and he grew up in the church. Even though he had already gotten connected to another church in Florida, he was in his early fifties. He he had been gone for a while. His parents insisted that the funeral happened at Kerbinsville, right? And, and I was like, okay. And then they said, as a compromise that his pastor was going to come up and assist me in the funeral. (laughs) Now, this is one of my least favorite things in the world. Yeah, I do recall this. You do recall this, right. It's a good story. Go ahead. It is a good story. So listeners, 
the the sort of streamlined version of the story is I agreed to this against my better judgment. Um, the funeral happens. His pastor shows up and it's a old white fundamentalist Baptist who's just like who's just like turn and burn, you know, like he's he's totally insane. He probably stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Like he's <laughs> totally out there. And I and I look at him. I was like, God damn it. Like, no, like this is not what I want. Like, this is incorrect. I don't care that this guy is, is this guy's pastor. Like, frankly, he shouldn't be getting he shouldn't be having the funeral at my church. He shouldn't be having the funeral at his Baptist church. <laughs> you know, right. and and so we did the service. This guy, he did the eulogy, you know, and and you know, was full out, you know. Come, come to Jesus so that Jesus doesn't send you to hell. Come, come on up and be like this guy who's died and is dancing in heaven right now. And, you know, and, and that's going to be great. And he like looks at me and I'm like, okay. And I like have to get up and, <laughs> and try to figure out how to fix this, you know, without, without just going, the old man is crazy. Like, like he's talking nonsense. <laughs> and so I finished it and I walk over to Carol it was there. Carol Michael was helping, helping facilitate the service. And I walk over to Carol and I'm like, under no circumstances will we allow a Baptist back in this church pulpit ever again. Do you understand me? And Carol's like, that's fine with me. I, I didn't like him. And I was like, yeah, it's not happening again. So I uh, get a phone call that this gentleman died. It, it, fast forward to now. Get a phone call. This gentleman died two days ago. And uh, it was from Colette, my office administrator. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a shame. And then they said, the family wants to talk with you because they want to try to get everything worked out for the service as quick as possible. I was like, okay, that's fine. And I'm like in the process of trying to finish my fucking paper. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Sure, sure, sure. And, and, then, and then she said, also, uh, a Reverend Dennis Perry, you need to contact him because he was their pastor at Gordonsville 35 years ago, and they want him to to participate in the service and i was like fucking shit like no <laughs> no well, at, least at least he's not a baptist i mean not a baptist yeah you're right <laughs> and so i was like fine so i like freaked out for five seconds you know i do that to colette all the time i'm like colette knows to just let let it ride out <laughs> ethan freaks for a few minutes okay and i was like colette could you please send me pastor dennis perry's number Yes. So I called Dennis Perry. Very nice guy. Very, very, you know, you're in charge here, Pastor Shear. Like, you, if you do not think it's appropriate for me to come, in no way will I show up. There will be no problems. Like, but, but if, if you, if you would allow me to come, you know, what do you think the best way to serve the family would be? And basically, I said to him, Dennis, of course you can come. I'm not about to tell you no. Um, you seem like a really nice guy. I didn't really know this guy very well, like the guy who passed away. Yeah. I just got here. If, if you feel like you can speak for five minutes and say something really great about him that's meaningful to, to the family, I think you should. I think you should speak. I think you should do the eulogy. Okay. So today, I wanted to know what this guy looked like. And yeah. so I Googled and now it. He's, he's still an active pastor somewhere. Or he, he, is just he, like retired? He, okay. he just retired last year. He just retired last year. And I Google him and he was the for for many years, for, for like almost 10 years. He was the pastor at a big church in Alexandria, Virginia called Aldersgate. Mm -hmm. 
And in 2011, he was on The Daily Show. Oh, John no Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, are you fucking serious? And I find the video. He was uh, he was on a segment. He was on one of those like field segments that like yeah. John Oliver did when he was on The Daily Show. Yeah. Uh, he so John Oliver does this five minute field segment about Muslims and how you know it's it's John Oliver, so it's it's ridiculous how Muslims right. are taking over our, our, our world. And uh D- Dennis Perry in 2011 at Aldersgate opened up the church as a co- United Methodist and Muslim worship space. Yeah. And and Dennis Perry's like on the Daily Show talking about it. He's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I to be faithful to Jesus means to open up service to the folks who need who need places to worship. And John Oliver's like, but you do know that the Muslims are going to kill us all. And and he's and he and he's like, well, I don't think that at all. I think Muslims are beloved by Jesus and they have just as much right to be here as we do. And then like John Oliver like interviewed like a crazy evangelical, you know, kind right. of on the other side. And Dennis Perry's cast is the good guy. And I'm like, hey, this might actually be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm like cool. Like, all right. <laughs> and so when I meet him on Saturday, I'm gonna be like, I saw, I saw your Daily Show episode. <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty cool. I have to admit. What was that like? <laughs> you know, the only thing that could have made that story better is if the pastor that came to the church in Kerwinsville was the oh counterpoint pastor in the John yeah. Stewart piece. <laughs> like, oh my god, <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> But yeah, when I saw, I couldn't believe it. it. Was like he was on the fucking Daily Show? Are you serious? Are you kidding me? No, man, there he was. I was like, holy shit! How did this guy who used to pastor Gordonsville United Methodist Church end up on the Daily? Well, there show? you go. Maybe you've got maybe you've got big uh, big things in your future for. That's true. He wasn't the pastor at Gordonsville when he did when he no. You said he was in Alexandria. Yeah, yeah. So, no, not when he was on the Daily Show. They, Somebody would have told me from the church. Oh, yeah, we had a pastor that was on the Daily Show. <laughs> they probably don't know what the Daily Show is. No, they definitely don't. They definitely don't. But, yeah, I'm going to have to. When I saw that, I was like, oh, God, I got to tell Matt. Like, that's crazy. Because, <laughs> you know, it was right in that sweet spot. It was 2011. So John Oliver was, like, in the elder statesman mode. Everybody was doing great. You know, Obama yeah. was president. Like, like things were good. I just heard uh, something about. The the remember the rally to restore sanity and or fear? Yep, yep, yep. It happened in like 2012 or something like that. Mm-hmm. They were talking about it on one of the podcasts I listened to, and they were, were referencing that and were talking about how John Stewart at the time was considered like the most trusted news source <laughs> in the United States. Yeah. And of course, John wow. Stewart was like blowing it all off, but they're like, you know. It's kind of sad that he really was the most trusted news source because it, like he had an air of authenticity, even though it was comedy and even though he was poking fun at it, like he had an air of authenticity and truthfulness to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, mm. oh, those halcyon days, right? <laughs> well, back in the day. Well, and the thing that made John, the reason why John Stewart's that way, like all the things you just said were true, but like he had a he had an angle that he didn't try to hide. You know, and so like people understood who he was and they got it like they were like, yeah, yeah, like like John Oliver is an old lefty. And so he's going to he's going to do his bit as an old lefty. But that actually just gave him credibility because he wasn't trying to pull a fast one on anybody. Like like right. everybody got it. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't like he was hiding an agenda. He was like, <laughs> yeah, 
one of my favorite old John Oliver bits, old, like like from 2015. Is, John uh, Oliver or John Stewart? John Stewart. John Stewart. Thank John you. Stewart. My my bad. One of my favorite John Stewart bits from like 2015 is a video on YouTube, you know, what he did on the show called Chaos on Bullshit Mountain, <laughs> where where he just he just talks about and plays, you know, clips from the same Fox News folks in the same segments and yeah. how they're changing tone like like all the time. And uh, and it's just this beautifully done bit for like it's like a 10 minute bit. Where we're at the end because it was during it wasn't 2015 it must not have been it was during Romney because Romney was running for president, um and 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 he sort of arrives at Romney, you know because Romney in the end of the day for it, this bit like represents you know government handouts like like right. all all of Romney's all the tax cuts that Romney himself has you know and all the ways Romney cast his his can't you know tried tried to make it so that he was ultimately just trying to garner the rich people to vote for him and, 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 and showed such disdain for the poor. Like, like, and, and, uh, and John, John Stewart called it chaos and bullshit mountain because, because in that segment, there was like this press release that like leaked Romney saying something about like the pores and he calls them the pores, like, like something totally <laughs> ridiculous. And he goes, it was chaos and bullshit mountain this week as they attempted to figure out how to spin, how to spin all of this. And, you know, wow. they go from, they, they go from Romney didn't mean what he said to um, what Romney said, what Romney actually said was not what you heard. Like that was totally fucked up to <laughs> Romney did mean what he said, and this is why it's good because the poor really do <laughs> do need to buckle up. Like, like it's just ridiculous. I love it. That was back in the day, whenever that Republican Party cared what their nominee said, right? Exactly. Like when they when they felt there was a need to defend it rather than just double down behind it. <laughs> yeah, rather than a lot of shrugs, you know, like whatever. like all the stuff leaking right now from the January 6th report about yeah. like Jim Jordan and folks like texting Trump being like, Hey, yeah. you know, hi, the coup isn't working. LOL. You know? And, and, and then they like the Jim Jordan's office. I just read Jim Jordan's office, like released a statement saying that he really did say the stuff that the text got released for. Like, the stuff, yeah. the text, the Jim Jordan texts were released, and Jim Jordan's office ag agreed that those were his texts. It was like that is what Sen that is what Senator Jim Jordan said, Representative Jim Jordan said, and then Jim Jordan went on Tucker Carlson's show and said that they were altered, right? Like, like, like that same day, he was like, "That's not what I said. They were altered." I was like, yes. "Are you suggesting a vast conspiracy? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> the bipartisan January sixth committee?" <laughs> Oh my God! Yes, I don't use punctuation. That's how it was altered. That's how it was altered. That guy's a turd. That guy is a turd. <laughs> oh my! So, what do you want to talk about this week? I don't know. Uh, well, I have some news. I have some oh interesting news. Let's put it that way. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I am going back to the dark side. Okay. I understand. <laughs> I'm not mad. I get it. What's well, going on? Walk uh, me through it. So I got I've been getting calls for the last couple of weeks about mm -hmm. returning to the prison. And I've been like fighting it. And 
basically I said, well, I was coming up with excuses why I shouldn't go back. Right. And I was talking to the HR person who called me. And then I talked to one of the people that has returned and I really don't have a choice. So um, I'm never going to have to work past four o'clock. I'm never going to have to work a weekend, never going to have to work a holiday. I get all my benefits back. I get all my vacation back. I get seven additional sick days. I get $29.95 an hour plus $4.23 health and welfare. So it makes it like $34.18 an hour. Beep that out. Uh <laughs> oh, oh, your, or your salary. I yeah. get, I get beep. Holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what but, like it, I get the kind of money that like is stupid up yeah, in money. this area. Like that's it's that's crazy amount of money. And uh if I were to turn it down, I think I would kick myself because what I'm going into now, I'm not going to start out getting anywhere near that. I might have to move. I might have to do all sorts of things, but I've been working with an electrician in the area. And I plan to continue to do that. Given the schedule that I'm going to receive, I'm going to be able to do that because I've been doing it in the evenings. And uh, I'm kind of bummed because I really, really like going to school. I really like the group I'm with. My, I told my instructor yesterday about it, and he like nearly wept <laughs> because he's like, oh, man. And then I told him like how much money I was going to make and what was there. And he's like, oh, you got, you got to do it. You, you got to do it. So um, I'm going to try to finish up what I can from this semester, but uh, I want to be able to go back. If I go back after five years or something like that, I should be able to start as a third termer, which would be nice. Um, so I'm kind of bummed out, but the reality is like for this area, the, the things that I needed to learn in terms of electrical stuff for doing residential stuff, I already know all of it like I've been doing I mean I don't mean to sound like arrogant like I'm like the most wizened <laughs> electrician in the world I'm certainly not but I mean I know from the point where the power company plugs into your house all the way through the house how to do literally everything they could possibly done residentially I know how to do some commercial stuff right now I'm in like industrial stuff and motor controls and things like that which if i were to pursue that i would probably have to move out of this area because mm. there's just not the industry here for that yeah. Yeah. and uh in order to really make money you'd have to join like the union and then the, you get sent all over the place for a long period of time i'm 43 you know i don't want to yeah, travel and do all that stuff I, re I really like doing the residential stuff i like being around here and having kind of the autonomy to choose what jobs I'm going to do and what jobs I'm not going to do. And I already, I, I have that ability already. So uh, based on that, and based on the fact that they're offering me such sick money and it's, uh, it's silly to refuse it, I'm going to have to do like, I was talking to one of the other case managers and she was like, you do like a half to a quarter of what we used to do in terms of workload and you get paid more for it. And I'm like, well, that's just, yeah, I hear how you. Do you. How do you say no? You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel that. I feel that. I do. So uh, I went through and did all my background checks, got my tuberculosis test, all that stuff. Just finished it up today. Talked to the HR person about four hours ago today. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm probably going to start either December 28th or January 10th. My guess is that they will start me on January 10th because if they start me on January or December 28th, they will have to pay me for both Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure they'll just wait. Yeah, but, I uh, imagine so. But unfortunately, I won't be able to finish school for for what I was doing because I can't be both places at once. So there's my news. You know, that's, I get it, buddy. I do. Like, you know me, I was on team, finish a degree, become an electrician. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I think that many of the things that, you other than other than the positives of taking this job you know which are which you've mentioned like i think many of the things that turns you off about being you know about your career in in the prison industry prior to this i think many of them are mitigated you know in terms of workload in terms of mm -hmm. you know how long you'll be there like stuff like that you know and, yeah. and so and so i think that some of that stuff uh is different and, and I right. think that that the your relationship with your family, that's always been a, a, a thing well, you said that stuck it, out to me. The, the only thing that 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 kind of causes me any sort of struggle about it is it really is a selfish decision on my part, because like. We have discovered my wife and I have discovered what it is that we need to live on and all of our and I've been very fortunate that my wife's paycheck covers like all of our bills and i've been doing a little bit of work here and there on the side to get money for food money for gas little extra stuff there we don't have a lot of extra money like like i didn't realize before i lost my job how much money we just freaking blow and how good we had it you know we had it so good that we just we didn't care we just we just did whatever we wanted anytime we wanted to do it and we got used to that got accustomed to that you know and whenever we had to cut back, it wasn't like um, we were in dire straits. Like even when we cut back, we were we were okay. You know, we weren't we weren't killing it like we were, but like we were we were we were fine. It wasn't like we were destitute. It wasn't like we were going to lose our house or our cars or anything like sure. that. So like I was fortunate to be in that position. And um, going back kind of feels selfish in a way because literally it's going to be like all the money that I'm making it's going to be like free money for us. You know, we have got to um, be a little bit more conscientious about how we spend it. And we've already talked about that. Um, we, we, we have to be, we have to acknowledge our, for, our fortuitiveness and like act accordingly instead of just behaving on a completely selfish level. But, you know, I want to be able to make sure that Maddie has, money for school i want to be able yeah, to make course. sure that you know we can help family members or help friends out whenever they need it because they offered to help us out you know i i, I want to be in that position of means and uh this is going to provide that and not only that um i kind of get to have my cake and eat it too with the electrical stuff because i can yeah. still do that stuff you know, and I, I fully intend, like I told the guy that I've been working with that I was going back to work and he was like, oh, when, when, because I was booking jobs because I thought you were going to be there to help. I'm like, I'm still going to help you relax, you know? <laughs> so like, I'm, I'm just like, it's blessing upon blessing upon blessing and fortunateness upon fortunateness for me right now, which is great. And I don't, 
really know how to feel about it <laughs> because I almost feel like I don't deserve that, you know? I feel that. I feel that. I, you know, I, Beth got a raise. Um, and, yeah. and like when, when Beth's boss told us that she was getting a raise, like I remember feeling so grateful, you know, that, and we've been fine. It's not like, like it's the same thing. It's not like we've yeah. been destitute, you know, we're not, we're not saving a ton of money right now, but that can change. Like, and I think that's something that makes me happy, you know, about, about that blessing. Right. I say that just to say, like, I think that it's not really about what we deserve. You know, I, I think like if I may speak theologically for one second, like, yeah. like the, a, a pretty, um, a pretty wide thread in the Christian tradition tells us that human beings don't really deserve anything like everything that we get as a gift like and and that's that's done on purpose you know that that idea is is supposed is on one hand this sort of theological ontological idea that that speaks to the way in which creation is is not necessary creation is just a a wonderful thing you know god god said what how about how about there's things now you know and and now there are things right and and we didn't deserve that our existence is a gift but it's also meant to inculcate like a really strong you know moral dimension of of mutual aid like everything we have is a gift and so it actually doesn't the the christian isn't supposed to ask of a poor person if they deserve anything because the answer is none of us do (laughs) and so we we just give anyway because none of us deserve anything and i think that like i offer that to you like like i think that your ability to go back your ability to both learn this trade and also go back to the prison gives you you know at, at, in this new capacity in this different way that that does some things for you gives you and amanda and maddie like a chance to have a totally different relationship with this money yeah you know, and that's a good thing because that, yeah. like you, like you guys have always been generous. You've been generous to us. I know yeah. you've been generous to many people, but like now you have an opportunity to, because you're different people, to just think about you know the possibilities of this gift, right? And I think you know that, I appreciate it a lot more. I appreciate yeah, of it course. a lot more. And I don't mean to sound like a. I mean, it's not like it's not earned. I mean, I did. Sure. I did my work to get mm-hmm. here. I've done, I went to school. I've did all sorts of training. I did 15 years with the, the prison. Like I, I did well enough that they asked me to come back and wanted me to come back and gave me these good conditions to come back under. So it's not like it's completely like, just like falling out of the sky. I mean, I worked to get here and I'm, I worked whenever I was off. I went to school and took the initiative to get a new, trade and i'm going to continue doing that so it's not like it's it's not like it's falling out of the sky but like uh it's just all working out (laughs) you know so (laughs) yeah yeah there are people who did the same things you did and it's Mm -hmm. not and they didn't get that opportunity right yeah exactly exactly so it's not a formula like you're right Right. you did the work and, and that that is good and it's important that you did the work but it's not a formula for it, it doesn't it doesn't equal this, you know, right. It could easily equal nothing. Right. Um, and so that's a good thing, you know, and I'm happy for you. I'm, I'm always happy for you. I'm, I think <laughs> it's really great that you have the chance to um, uh, 
make money again you know yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm just trying to come up with a better way to say it well that's what it is really that's no really wrong what it way is. of saying that's, it you know that's that's really what it is it's about it's about the money you know and Absolutely. it's about the the opportunity and it's about the security that the it money is about, you, it's about you know i thought about um you know we got cuckoo's nest coming up here pretty soon and i mm -hmm. want to be in it Mm -hmm. And if I have to go to school all day and work in the evenings, I may not be able to be in, it. you know, again, selfishly. Um, but I want to be able to continue to play in the band. You know, yeah. if I move away, I can't play in the band anymore. You know, like, mm -hmm. so there's a lot of personal selfish reasons why this affords me. It affords me to do the things I want to do. Yeah. You know, and. You know, like I said, I'm 43. I want to do things i want to do i've I've, yeah. I've done the shift work i've gone around the, the clock i've been you know at the beck and call of of work before and now buddy i'm gonna tell you i went into that office the hr office at the prison was such a chip on my shoulder because i was like i do not need this place i do not have to be here and i was very clear with the hr guy that like you asked me to be here I walked down that hallway, the administrative hallway in the main building to to do my to sign my paperwork. And I felt like a rock star. There was people sure. running out like hurtling your back. You know, the, the 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 woman that was my boss before is no longer my direct supervisor, but she jumped and gave me a giant hug and she was just super thrilled that I was there. Um, like the some of the other administrators that I didn't even think really liked me that much were like really excited that I was back. Good. A lot of the officers were really happy to see me coming back. And uh, I felt really good because it felt like uh, I, I didn't expect that reaction from, I didn't expect that personal reaction from the people, you know, they just seemed really happy that I was coming back because I liked working with them and they liked working with me because we, understand each other you know i do my job they do their job and we're we're on a professional level where we work very well together but on a personal level we also understand each other and how to communicate with one another and how to you know coexist without stepping on each other's toes and there's a respect that's been developed over the years and a trust that's been developed over the years so um me coming back it's kind of like you know putting on an old boot right yeah. like we know what we're going to get with this guy so they're happy that i'm coming back and that's a good feeling you know it is it is I'm, i just I'm hope happy. i can do I, I just hope i can do well for the uh the the inmate population they're the detainee population so right what this what this is now is it's an immigration holding center so the the way it worked before was we had federal detainees inmates that were serving prison sentences when they got released from our custody from the bureau of prisons custody they went into immigration custody and they went to like york county or clinton county or wherever and um the immigration officers for for um homeland security were running all over the place and they were renting beds basically off of of uh like county jails sure. until they could go through the deportation process, get the, get the inmates, their, their final deportation hearings and, and deport them or whatever was going to happen. Yeah. 
the immigration has decided that it's much more feasible to put all those people into one facility, which our facility is large enough to hold them. So instead of being spread out all over Pennsylvania, they're now going to be localized in that one place. And a lot of the immigration officers that live down near York or down near Clinton County that would drive for two and a half hours to come up to Shannon Valley to do a couple immigration hearings or whatever are now going to be relocated to Phillipsburg. Wow. So okay. They will sure. be like living there and not have to travel all over the place. So it's kind of working out for everyone. And for that yeah. reason, I don't think that like, I don't think that they're, it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Like it sure. seems to me like the, the federal government wouldn't be relocating their personnel if they weren't going to continue to pay the contractor to keep yeah. the facility open. And I also feel like the institution, the, the company knew about sort of all this stuff whenever they shut down the last time, because right after they shut down, Walmart offered to buy the property from the geo group and they turned them down. And then the state of Pennsylvania wanted to purchase the prison to open a, a, a state prison there and right. geo turned them down. So like, if they would have, if they would have, they're, I mean, they're going to make their money there. Yeah, sure. And if they would have, if they would have not thought that there was going to be some sort of long-term yeah. investment potential, they got rid of the property and they didn't. So like, I have a feeling, and I've talked to some of the other people there that like, yeah, that was probably in the, like the, the corporate, at the corporate level, they kind of knew what was going to happen. And that's why they maintain the property and and that's also why they wanted to maintain the the personnel as much as they could you know so yeah. that's why they kept us like on in the loop so to, that's why they kept calling me you know they wanted to make right. sure that they wouldn't have to retrain everyone whenever they came back i mean there is yeah. some different training involved because it's now an immigration facility as opposed to a bureau of prisons facility so like there's some different paperwork involved um the inmates the detainees are only on site for an average of like 30 days before they're moved on. The majority of my work is going to be coordinating with immigration court, which is buried right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. They, and so maybe, maybe I can help alleviate some of that because, sure. <laughs> you know, um, because they just don't have enough people or enough staff to, to handle all the immigration cases that are coming up. And, that's going to be primarily what I do is coordinate that. So um, it's a quarter of what I used to do in terms of job responsibility. I don't have the long-term, you know, case reviews to do and the progress reports to write because they're simply not there long enough. So the majority of my time is going to be spent talking with immigration courts and, and lawyers and kind of facilitating getting these guys where they need to go, whether it be allowed to stay in the country or deported or whatever the case may be. But at least it'll kind of move that process along. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll see. We'll see That's how awesome. I like it. And the best part is the best part is for me, like if I get there and it sucks or like I can't like morally stand it, I can walk. I can walk. I know I can do that. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, that gives you flexibility, man. And that's yeah. uh, that's really what you need. I, I'm a hundred percent in agreement that it's about the money. Yeah. It's this totally whole, about the whole, money. 
not not just in your case it the whole thing <laughs> is always about the money like when i when i decided to go back to being a pastor that's what every every single one of my professors like my advisor in particular when i told him i was picking up another job he was like congratulations on the money like that's what he said he was like right money's good man <laughs> take, yep. take your money <laughs> i'm like yep. exactly so i i get it i get it and you really can't you really can't um help people without means <laughs> yeah, <you're laughs> you know right. what i mean like mm -hmm. like even jesus himself was like bumming the upper room off of somebody whenever they had the last supper like he had to have he, he had to have people with means to to facilitate the work that he did right churches mm -hmm. need people that can show up and put money into the coffers instead of just taking them out taking it out yeah right yeah. so I feel like a responsibility, an obligation to to make sure that whenever I, and I I kind of did that. I mean, not to pat myself on the back too much, but mm -hmm. like I I was pretty generous with my money when yes, I had you were. before. You yes, know? you were. So you know, I I I I just feel like now, I don't want to say that it's not earned money, but it's it's money that I respect more, and yeah. I, I I know how to use it better. And not yeah, just yeah. frivolously kind of piss it away on things that aren't important. No, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm I got you. By the way, we we know, you're you're right about the the church. Like the early church had uh, very wealthy, educated women patrons. Who, like <laughs> it's true. Like Paul names them by name in some of his letters. And thank you, Phoebe, for your money. Like, like yeah. you know, and well, and Phoebe's like very good. You know, like like that's how it is. Yeah, uh, I get it, you know, and 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 particularly Joe and I'll talk about this uh, in particular when we were both pastors early on in the show, in our podcast, like the when you're a small town pastor, it, it's not so much that that the that the Marxist social justice stuff goes out the window. It's just that you understand that um, what we're really dealing with is is small town money and right. and wealthy people in your small town are not evil unless they're evil like like gen <laughs> generally they're just members of the small town like like and they happen right. to employ people you know right and like carol something... michaels isn't carol carol michaels isn't evil <laughs> like, it, she's exactly. pretty awesome it, it, she's but very like, cool yeah and and but she's a woman of means and she uses those means in a, in a way that helps people yeah of course know? of course you know, and, and that's that's the diff. That's why I never want to be uh, the the uh, Wall family's pastor. You know, the folks who own Walmart. Yeah. Like I don't want yeah. any of that. I don't. What am I supposed to say? You better give your money, or you're gonna go fucking hell. You're gonna go right <laughs> to hell right now. Like you got to give up your money. You know, give yeah. me your money, not to me, to anybody. Like, yeah. But 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 yeah, I think that. But see, they're on a different level of rich now. They're on yeah, the they're on the right. level of rich where. Like when, when they give money away, it's self-serving too. Like, yeah. like, so uh, I don't know if, if the same sort of things, like when the holidays come around, at least in, in this area, when I go to sheets, for example, they're always like, do you want to donate a dollar to sheets foundation? pay for And then at the end of the year, sheets will say we donated X million dollars to charity. Look how great we are. First of all, sheets didn't. I did. They, they donated the money that I gave them. 
And second of all, they took the tax break for it or the, the, right. the tax credit for it. You know, now I'm not trying to denigrate Sheets. The Sheets Corporation treats its employees very well. They're not a bad corporation. I'm just talking about in general, like when you when you give to you round up your dollar to the next whatever, like that company, Walmart, whoever it is, is donating it in their name, not your name. Yeah. And they're reaping some sort of benefit from that. Not to right. say that the money doesn't help. Not to say no, that the course. money is used correctly. I don't frankly know how the money's used, but the corporation isn't doing it purely out of altruism, right? They're doing it because they can do it. They can get marketing from it and they can get tax breaks from it. Mm -hmm. So like, that's a different level of rich. <laughs> no, I think, I think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. And, and once again, it's a difference between like a, like an individual piety and like social systems, right? Right. Like, like, I think a lot of times, a lot of colleagues from seminary, nobody talks, nobody really talks like this at UVA because nobody's being a pastor. It's just me, you know, <laughs> everybody else is like, whatever. But uh, in seminary, it was all about, you know, studying things systemically. We do that at UVA too, just not with ministry because we don't care about ministry. And like, of course I'm interested in systemic stuff, but like, that's a whole different moral conversation. Like, right. and, and this is, it's not, it's not that systems can't be moral systems absolutely can and should be moral but they are moral in a very different way than individuals are moral like right. like systems th this is why Niebuhr's great right systems must be forced to be moral <laughs> you know as as Niebuhr would say like like sy systems have to be have to you have to apply pressure in a really different way to, to make systems uh work for human beings you know and work right. for the world um, and whereas you still maybe need to apply pressure to individuals, but you, you have the ability to communicate with individuals. A, you have an ability with individuals to make a personal connection, right? You have right, an right. ability with an individual to say, well, that person can't afford heating oil. I can fill their tank up for them, you know, um, or, or whatever the case may be. Like, like you have that um, direct connection where you can see what happens with your with your money, with a, with a, uh, with a corporation, again, their motivations aren't the whole point of a corporation is to make money exactly. for itself. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have a personal connection with anybody. In fact, it's very impersonal. That's the whole point of a cor corporation, you know, even though they're people too, apparently, um, yeah. they just don't have the same sort of, um, motivations. They don't have the same sort of inspirations. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think you're right. And and so like I, I you know, basically what I'm saying, because the conversation it's a good conversation, but the role of the small town pastor then becomes uh different when it right. comes to our relationship with money, right? right? I think that I think I think back to my time at Chevy Chase, Maryland, you know, right outside of DC and there was plenty of wealthy people in that congregation and pastor Kirkland, my mentor spent a decent amount of time forming connections with those people and talking about how the best way to use their wealth to further the ministry of the church and yada, yada, yada. But the other thing pastor Kirkland did was, was a social activism at a local government level to make sure that tax codes were fair and just, and to make right. sure that, the, that the poor people that did exist because poor people are everywhere, you know, the poor people in, in, even in Chevy Chase, Maryland, 
are are able to you know be well and those are two totally different kinds of activism and two totally right. different kinds of things and um uh i think that in in the big city i think that makes it a little bit more sense than in sort of small rural towns unless we we have a bunch of robber barons who are you know running our little towns then you know right. maybe we need to maybe we need to do something but right um i always said uh to anybody who would listen that if i still lived in in town i would have run against uh, uh mayor mason and beat him and yeah. then and then <laughs> surrendered and get let mason be the mayor <laughs> you know, just to fuck with him or, yeah. or <laughs> and, and and try to hold him accountable as our as, a, as our local politician like <laughs> but uh i did but yeah like but if you think about like your your church communities now i mean even though two that you're serving what's their primary concern i mean for them their primary concerns are everyday human being concerns i mean no i mean in terms of the church money oh yeah no for sure that's what they're worried about that's why they want people to come to church they don't want people to come to church to hear the word of god no no they want people to come to church to pay for the church like that's what they're worried about yeah no and 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 that's that's really the the funny thing and and i'll and i'll from a ministry perspective i said this to kerwinsville all the time and i and i'll say this until i'm blue in the face it of course, money matters when we're dealing with church property and church salaries and, and, and all of that. But the, the, uh, the, the weird non-intuitive reality is the more a church worries about money, the worse it's going to be. Right. And that's and, exactly and, why the churches are dying. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. About. Do do you are you want the bills to be paid? Well, of course you do. Well, then you need to get your worry for the bills to be paid out of your brain right now. Like it needs yeah. to go away. And instead, you need to think about what the mission of the church is, and we need to do that. Like, buddy, not to not to pat myself on the back, <laughs> but but the only reason that that church grew by twenty five or thirty people on average on a Sunday was because I made them do that. Like, yeah. Like, if you worry about that, you will blow it. So stop yes. worrying about it and, right. and just, just be a place that people want to be at. Exactly. And you will find that people will show up to want to yes. be there. You know, nobody wants no to problem. show up. Nobody wants to show up to an environment where they feel like they're being fleeced. No one exactly. wants to show up to an environment where they feel like they're being used or manipulated or coddled to surreptitiously. You know, nobody, nobody wants to do that. And, and people like, as soon as you walk into that church, I mean, I remember whenever I first came up there, I just wanted to see what you did. You know, I, I remember people just like, Oh, who are you? And it was like glomming onto me, like, Oh, new blood. And mm-hmm. you know, you feel like a vampire, victim, you know, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's yes. not the, that's not the kind of hospitable relationship you want to provide. If you want to get, you know, the community involved if you want to grow your membership if you want to truly want to expand the church for the reasons that you purport to right. then then you can't you can't behave in that fashion that's exactly right that's exactly right it's it's both a uh what a, a gospel true truism like in which if we worry about the things that we are called to worry about God will take care of the other things. It's really no big deal. Like on one hand, it's that. And on the other hand, it's just 
basic human psychology and sociology. Right. Nobody wants to join a place that, that is tense. Like nobody wants that. Like, like nobody wants to show up and be that way, you know? Uh, instead, they want to join non-anxious places, you know, like, like where, where people, uh, yeah, where there might be programming for their kids. Like all of that's true. Like where there's stuff happening. Sure. Yes. But the first thing is when you walk into the building, do you feel anxious? No, perfect. Like that, right. they might come back. Um, <laughs> I watched. I watched. Uh, this is fairly recently in one of my churches. I watched. I watched this blow it in real time. You know, this <laughs> young adult couple comes in, and I'm like, oh, cool. And then I watch the. I watch everybody. I'm like, oh man, we're gonna blow it. We're. I'm watching us blow it, and we did. Like, like I watched. <laughs> I watched people just like accost these people, and and like we we blew it. And then like, oh, and then one of the guys at the church, bless his heart, he, after accosting them, if they couldn't find the bulletins, that's fine. Like, oh, did you get a bulletin? Here's a bulletin. End. Done. Yeah. Perfect. You know, but like, oh, did you get a bulletin? Oh, did you know where this is? Oh, what about this? Oh, how, who are you? Oh, blah, blah, blah. and then we finished it and we, we finished, that was at the beginning. The service started and we made it till the prayer time before one of the guys paul one of the older guys of the church who was a little frustrated with me that i did not accost the new people that were at the church <laughs> um for his prayer request thanked god that there were new people at the church and i'm like yeah. paul <laughs> that is not helping <laughs> i'm gonna fucking kill you <laughs> i want to strangle you what are you doing <laughs> And those people did not come back. I was like, oh, of course they didn't come back. You know? <laughs> oh my God. Like, like, what are you doing, Paul? <laughs> don't, don't get up there and embarrass I mean, that's, them. That's part of the, the anxiety that I'm talking about, right? That's part of the, the the fear that exists in the in the in the congregation. Yeah. And it's it's related to money, and it just it can't help but like burst forward and it's so apparent to any passers-by or onlookers that they like they're like well, well i don't want to go to that place if it's if it's if it's that way you know You're right and and they You're can't right. help themselves they can't help it. it's like it's kind of like those commercials that that, that that they've been putting out about like don't turn into your parents you've seen those commercials oh yeah 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 <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yep yep no i think that's right i think that's right <laughs> lord lord and you're right though Church, these churches they can't help themselves and uh you know and i i have so many theories as to why they can't that it's so it's almost boring to even recount all of the theories that i have but like i i think by and large you don't uh, want to know my theories <laughs> well for me i think that the, the entire role if a pastor does one thing so here's a funny thing. We're, we're, we're approaching the end, but I'll, I'll tell you some of these some of these church things that have been happening. I, there's a slight mutiny happening at one of my churches okay. uh, right now where, where a couple of ruling families, the two ruling families, one or two of them, just just do not like me very much. They're, they're not interested in they, they, they just don't like me very much. Hmm. And um Part of that is because I'm a Yankee. I actually yeah. think that's that's a pretty decent size of it. Is that is that yeah. I'm I'm read as a little um, 
I'm just read in a bad way to them. They're they're old money Virginia. And the so the it, war is not over, man. <laughs> the war is not over. Like like most of the folks of the church think I'm great. Actually, at the, my first church at the at the smaller, more country church, there there um there's a gentleman there who um uh he he and his wife are really nice. He's a real conservative guy. Like he, I wouldn't consider him like a wacko, but he's definitely a conservative yeah. guy. And and every every communion Sunday, um, because of COVID, we don't do passing of the peace anymore. Like, and so for communion, there's this moment in the communion liturgy where we we show signs of love and reconciliation, which is supposed to be like a like peace to you, peace to you. Yeah. I love you. I'm glad we're doing all this. And yeah. so for the, since since I started, what I do is I'm doing the communion. And we get to that time, you know, showing signs of, of peace and reconciliation. And I and I just say, I just say, hey, I just want you guys to know how much I love you and how grateful I am that I can be your pastor. You know, I just like start us off with that. And yeah. every single time, Larry, conservative, old, white, hyper macho Larry. I am not pretending to be conservative at this church. Every <laughs> single time he says back to me, we are so grateful that you are here yeah. and we're so happy. And I, and the rest of us are so happy that you're our pastor. And I'm like, Larry, you're going to make me cry, man. You're great. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody at Gordonsville is like that. But anyway, yeah. there's a slight mutiny happening. <laughs> there's a slight mutiny happening. Um, plenty of people at Gordonsville like me, but, but not this ruling family. Um, two church council. Well, that's because ago. you're not just patting them on the on the hand, saying that they're good, good people and they're going to go to heaven. I do not that's say that. No. Probably why they don't like you. No, well, I always remind them. I'm like, it's not me saying you won't go to heaven. It's the Book of James. <laughs> yeah, James well, is... you know, they used to be head messengers in Rome, so <laughs> that's true. Um, so, so there's a slight mutiny happening. Um, two church council meetings ago, I did not show up. I, I twice a year i don't show up to church council i started this practice at kerwinsville yeah. um and and i don't show up exclusively so that people can bitch that's that's really <laughs> why i do it like i have lots of allies at, at all the churches i've ever served they immediately tell me when somebody bitches it's no big deal i don't i don't do anything by accident everybody i just want to let you know i only i don't do anything by accident at churches <laughs> like like i calculate everything out like like that's what i do that's how I was trained to do it. Pastor yeah. Kirkland, Kirkland Reynolds was like, never, ever do improvise. That's what he used to say. <laughs> There's no improvisation in, in being a clergy person. I was like, yes, sir. Um, and so, and so this ruling family bitched, they just bitched about me, you know, the entire uh, church council meeting, two council meetings ago. And one of the things that they said was that I don't do enough visits. Now I'm only part-time. There's lots of stuff I'm doing and, and they're right. I don't do a ton of visits. I, I visit, I might visit one person once a week, maybe, but I don't visit every week. That in itself is such a, I don't know, like a desperate kind of, I don't know, egocentric, maybe sort of complaint. Like you don't come and visit me. You sound like my mother. I mean, come yeah, well, on, what's the matter well, with you? You know, with all due respect, with all due respect to your mother, like your mother, part of where that comes from is an old school mainline church thing. Right. And, like, well, like it's, that's it's also a generational thing, but I'll yeah. get to my point after yours. Go ahead. No, no problem. <laughs> and so it's a quick story. It's I'll finish it up. And so like he he said, 
here's how I think this, this guy, this guy doesn't like me. This is what he said in the, in the meeting. Here's how I think Ethan, they never call me pastor. Yeah. It's not that I, I'm not an egomaniac. Yeah. But I'm, but I'm pastor Ethan. Right. I'm you work saying. for it. You earned it. That's I'm, your job. I'm, yeah. I'm pastor. I Ethan. never called I'm, you pastor Ethan, but I have a different relationship. You with have you. a different relationship with me. Like, like, like I'm pastor Ethan. Right. I, I run council meetings. I look at church budgets. I have vision right. for the church. You can call me pastor Ethan. Like I'm not right. just, I'm not just your grandkid. Anyway, <laughs> this guy's like, you know, here's how, here's how Ethan can fix it. Here's how Ethan can fix it. Every day. He takes out, he puts up, he brings open the church directory and he calls five people from that directory in order, talks to them on the phone for an hour and goes and visits them. That's how I'll fix it. And I'm like, okay, so five hours a day, every day, you want me <laughs> like I, people are telling me this. And I was like, yeah, man, you can let Steve know that if that's what he and the SPRC want me to do, I'll happily do that. We're I not going to have a bulletin. I'm only, not... <laughs> I'm, only half, I'm only part of that. Exactly. You know, like, uh, there's going to be no more sermons. Uh, there won't be a bulletin anymore. And uh, I won't be at any meetings. But oh, oh also, uh, about 65% of the people that are in that bulletin, in that directory, are dead. Since we haven't updated it in 10 years, do I call them too? Like, like, like you are not making sense. And, uh, and, and it's been great. It's been really great. I've just been, it's been a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of smiling and shrugging, you know, as people are like, what do we do, Pat? What, Ethan, what do we do? Guys, I've been telling you what to do for a couple months now and nobody's listening to me. One lady, one lady was like, I think that this is a person that gets along with me well. She was like, I think that the church really just needs you to, they're really just looking for like a dictator, Ethan. And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm not a dictator. That's just not the way I do stuff. And I'm not going to do that at this church. That's how, that's how you get crazy pastors. Right. You know what I mean? That's how you get the total wackos. And I'm yeah. not going to do that. Second of all, I have been telling you what to do <laughs> since, <laughs> since fucking July. <laughs> no, but what she's saying is you need to do it for us. When she says yeah. uh, what we need is a dictator, what they actually mean by that is we need a servant. We need someone to yeah. do this for us so that we yeah. don't have to. I think you're right. And I think a lot of that has is the mentality of the boomer. I don't, do, do any of our listeners, are they boomers? No, not as far as I know. All right, fucking game on. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a this is a group of people that have no idea the time that they grew up was such an anomaly to like the entire course of human history. <laughs> right? They have no idea how good they had it. Now, that's not to say that they didn't have struggles. That's not to say that they didn't work. That's not to say that somehow they don't deserve the, the means or whatever that they have. That's not to say that. But the setup, the, the way that you grew up in this 50s and 60s is totally anon uh, uh, anomalous to like every other period in human history. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they come up with this expectation that and this is this is why like the Trump line like uh, you know make America great again works because 
people say, well, it's not as good as it used to be. Yeah, that was a freak occurrence. That was like a lottery ticket that you scratched off and it just so happened to be. And it was a, a period of time that like all the dominoes fell into place for the middle class in America. It's never been like that before. Probably won't be again, right? Like, so they come at their their expectations are way inflated to somebody from my generation or from your generation who has a little bit more of a realistic expectation right. of like what's going to happen. Like I recognize that I'm probably not going to make as much money or have the same sort of benefits that my dad did because those jobs don't exist anymore. Right. You recognize that you're not going to have the same sort of opportunities that, that your parents did because yeah. they don't exist anymore because they didn't exist before that either. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was just that one magical sort of time in our country where everything kind of clicked. And we we expect to keep riding this high. We expect this exponential growth to just continue forever. And it, and it can't and it won't. And we've been falsely. um promoting it and force, forcing it to happen since the 80s yeah. you know and, and and now like the bubbles are bursting and people are freaking the fuck out and it's and the only people that are freaking the fuck out though are the older people that are used to the way it was because younger generations even the generation behind yours that i'm going to school with totally grounded like oh yeah the generation what are they that there's millennials gen, gen and then gen, gen z, z yeah. like mm -hmm. these kids they, these kids are facing enormous debt. They're facing enormous climate problems. They're facing all sorts of bullshit. And they're just like, I just want to look at TikTok for a few minutes, man. It's not like I'm not going to finish my homework. Relax, you know? Yeah. And there's so much, like, bombardment and pressure on them from the older generations. It's like, give them a break, man. Don't, don't you realize that, like, they're just ex they're just trying to exist in the in the reality that has been that we put there for them, <laughs> you know, like the conditions that we created for them. They have to navigate that, you know. I kind of feel bad for them sometimes because I, I I hear all the negative remarks that people make, like the instructors will make about millennials or about Gen Gen Z, and I'm I'm fortunate enough that I'm old enough to be in the Generation X clan, right mm -hmm. where no one ever gave a shit about us before. Nobody gave a shit about us now. So like, that's, it's great to be anonymous, but like, I'm, I'm in that kind of sweet spot where I can listen to them and they, and like the older generation looks to me and goes like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Right. And, <laughs> and I'm like, mm -hmm. and then the uh, younger generation looks to me and goes, those guys are fucking crazy. Right. And I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I have this like nice bridge between the, between the two, uh, between the two polarities, right? Uh, generation, or the millennials are like, I think there's twice as many millennials as there are Gen Xers. And there's also twice as many boomers as yeah. there are Gen Xers. So like, we're just kind of smooshed in between looking at both going, hmm, it's like watching a ping pong game. You know? What do we do? No, I think that's fair. I think that's right. I mean, and the nice thing is it's really just the Gen Zs that'll take over. Like, like there's definitely people in my generation that are becoming boomerfied in meaning that they're becoming bitter and weird. But like, mm -hmm. for me, like whenever, whenever a Gen Z, like, like expresses their opinion or like asserts themselves, I'm like, yeah, man, fight the power, fucking kill those old people. Like, like whatever you want, I don't give a shit. <laughs> 
you know like i don't need the power like that's the thing like like most millennials who are like we should run for public office are doing it mostly because we really would like things to be better for us like like if somebody else wants to do it please do it like like, i don't we do not care you know in, in that way I uh, my favorite thing, and by by way of wrap up, my my favorite thing that that the boomers that still run everything try to do is they try to cast uh, when they're not complaining, they try to cast our current age as like this exciting frontier, you know, like uh, what was yeah. it? I just read an article. Oh, I'm gonna get the name of it wrong, but it's like they call it like poly something, like poly poly work, poly poly job. It, I'm butchering the term but basically it means millennials by and large are not working full-time anywhere we're working three part-time jobs in lots of places and and like this article is trying to like cast it as this like new frontier of working (laughs) the millennials are like no (laughs) yeah no it's horrible it's It's terrible terrible. (laughs) like we would love one job (laughs) one job that pays pays well you know (laughs) Like, like yeah. this is awful. Like, what are you doing? You know, no, no, no. Oh, well, we'll my have God. to, we'll have to, because of our time constraints here, we're going to have to put a pin in this. But yeah, uh, remind me to talk to you about my my social theory graph theory. I'll explain it some other point, Perfect. but it, it'll make sense when I ex- explain it. But anyway, are we going to talk about the wheel of time? Um, I have <laughs> I have a few minutes to talk about the wheel of time, so let's do okay. that. Uh, I'll, I'll sign us off. Friends, this has been an episode of Uga Chats with Matt and Ethan. We will see you next time.